According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, for our final time this year. We're going to look at verse 10, which means we're not going to finish the chapter. (laughs) If we could teach, let's see, there's 34 verses. No, we can't do that. Not in a single hour. I think we've uh, concluded what we were looking at related to the scheming in verses 8 and 9. One who plans to do evil, men will call a schemer, and the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. And really this uh, kind of centers on what Romans 1 talks about in Romans 1.30 where it talks about inventors of evil. And taking our God-given creativity, taking, you know, our Creator has blessed us in His image, and being in the image of God vests each one of us with a certain creativity as reflections of the Father as the Creator. And uh, But to take our Creator-given creativity in order to devise evil, it's the essence of what it means to be a scoffer. Scoffer is, is more than just rejecting God's truth as foolishness, but it's rejecting everything about God as foolishness and substituting your own, uh, your own godness for God's godness, obviously, uh, becoming an imitator of Satan who said he would be like the Most High God. So it's just, it's horrible. And as Romans one thirty puts it, in this long list of issues here, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. And so at this point, it's as if, you know, you become a functional atheist at that point where you're convinced there is no God, or if there is, you don't care that you, uh, you know, your, your sovereignty uh, trumps anything that, that God has to say. Uh, so you don't even acknowledge Him any longer. So God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And the three givings over of Romans 1 is an interesting study to see that intensification each time. But to be given over to a depraved mind. And then it's just, it's game over at that point because, you know, it's like the, the horse is out of the barn and, and you're off to, the, to the, uh, the, the pits of darkness. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. That's the phrase. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And as if that's not enough, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is where they demand acceptance of their darkness. They demand that you celebrate their perversity. And uh, written here 2,000 years ago and played out in our generation. All right, so that's uh, Proverbs 24, verses 8 and 9. The play on words there between the schemer and the devising. We're going to have something similar here in verse 10. And I should go ahead and underline it now so we can see it for what it is. That, um, that if you are slack in the day of distress, and I need to put the triple underline on there. Let me see, can I do that from here? Probably not. I haven't prayed yet, have I? I'm going to pray here in a moment. Double underline, triple underline. There it is, triple underline. All right. Because the uh, the parallelism in verse ten is with the noun of distress. And then the limitation on the strength. That's the that's the 
poetry. That's the parallelism there in verse 10. Similar to what we had in between verse 8 and verse 9. We have these cognate expressions that are essentially the same word, just a different form of the word, a shorter form of the word, that uh, that links schemer with devising. Same thing in verse 10. The, the term for distress is also the term that's used describing the strength. It's limited, it's narrow, it's distressed, it's under stress. Uh, the idea that if you're using your own strength in testing and then you've already failed, why, why are you trying your own strength? Uh, so we're going to talk about that here this morning. All right, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Pretty short and yet simple, as I think we, uh, we lay it out there. So that's what we'll cover for this hour. Before we get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in your faithfulness, and calling upon your faithfulness this morning. Once again, one more time, Father, as we open the Proverbs and study to show ourselves approved. I thank you for this series. Uh, Looking forward to, uh, of course, we're taking the year off, but looking forward to resuming this series uh, and uh, continuing on, Father, as we've got seven more chapters to go. So we just uh, thank you for being faithful. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so moving on then to Words of the Wise, number 24. This is point six in the chapter 24 outline. Words of the Wise, number 24, falling limp in the day of distress. And we're going to talk about this as well. In fact, it'll be the the first portion of this message and we'll spend a a bit of time on it. Uh, But essentially it is our own spiritual uh, impotency when it comes to falling limp in the spiritual realm. Falling limp in the day of distress stresses your tiny strength. Stresses your tiny strength. And that's what we want to deal with as we relate to this. If you are slack, in other words, if you are uh, spiritually not suited for the day of battle when God puts you in that day of battle, your falling limp is on you. Because God's given you the equipment you need, He's given you the training you need, He's given you the weaponry you need. You have the spiritual fortitude if in fact you are employing the spiritual fortitude God supplies. And remember, this was written in an Old Testament context. This was written before the church age. And so it's not like uh, David and Solomon or anybody reading these Proverbs, not like any Old Testament believer making use of, of God's provision is going to have the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit or the Ephesians 6 panoply of armor. He doesn't have any of that. But still, Old Testament saints were equipped to stand firm with spiritual resources during earthly testing. And uh, that becomes clear here and in so many other passages as well. So if you are slack, God didn't uh, put you there so you could, you could demonstrate slackness, okay? He didn't put you there so you could show to the whole angelic realm uh, what, uh, what, what, how useless you are in the day of battle. That's on you if you are slack. Your strength is limited. The problem is you were using your strength. You should have been using God's strength because your strength is slack. We start with the uh, Hiphael perfect of Rapha. Now this hithpael, they're not, a, not as common, we don't deal with this very frequently, but it, we have it here. Um, it's like a reflexive nifal, it's like a reflexive intensive. Uh, but the verb is rafa, R-A-P-H-A-H, rafa. Strong's number is 7503, 46 uses in the New Testament, we won't see we won't see many of them. We'll see a small handful. We'll see a selection of them. In fact, what I want to do is go ahead and bring them up in a panel where we can kind of scan down the list of them and see the variety of those usages in the, the different settings where they can be found. Because there is a considerable variety for how this verb is employed. Beyond this verb, there are other verbs that are spelled exactly the same way. And uh, so there are puzzles with respect to the Hebrew uh, verb, where, where you have the same three radical consonants, right? The same, the resh, the pe, and the he, rafa. And then you start to ask yourself, why are there different verbs or different nouns or different terms that come from the same three root, the same three root consonants? And, and it does lead to some puzzles and it leads to some confusion, especially when it comes to the rephaim, that we uh, that we're going to be looking at here next. 
But essentially, as a root verb, we can take it uh, at this point just with reference to the idea of sinking, the idea of relaxing, the idea of letting something go, the idea of a without strength, uh, just an impotency, anything that is just slack. If you let the the wind out of your sails, if you let the, the, the slack out of your rope, if you're just going limp, you drop something, okay? And uh, other imagery there. And, and very vividly, this is what happens to grass when it's on fire, okay? And maybe that's the best image of all is that we take we take the literal use and then that helps to shape these metaphors when we come across the uh, the metaphors. So when we start with Rafa, Strong's number 7503 with 46 uses. More than that, once you start bringing in the cognate expressions, and, and I'll show you what I mean by that as well. So let's talk about Slack. Again, you just right-click the word, you identify the the uh, dilemma by that little symbol there. So you see the lemma is Rafa, to grow Slack, to release, to let go. And we're going to go ahead and open a uh, Bible word study based on that. Let me close that. Don't need that open. And we'll fly this out so we can make it larger. There we go. All right, Rafa, to grow slack, to release, to let go. And the different lexicons, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at them, but at least uh, we can consider. You notice there 7503 is Rafa. Also, 7504 is Rafa, same spelling. And uh, we start to notice, in fact, if I back up a little bit. Nope, Rafat, okay. So we've got the verb and we've got the adjective between 7503 and 7504. All right. Not what I thought we were going to see, but that's okay. We'll continue. The um, translation. Isn't that pretty? What a sweet rainbow looking thing, right? I mean, when you get a color wheel that's that colorful, you know, it's the opposite end of a spectrum where it's just a single blue circle, right? Where there's only one color, there's only one segment. Uh, It it is always translated the same way every time. Uh, Some words do that. This word does not, okay? You'll notice the variety of ways that it gets rendered. Because it's, it's, a, it's a verb that's used 46 times, but the most that it's translated is this one here where it's rendered alone. That's only six times of the, of the 46 times. And that's the most common translation. Then you have fail. Then you have lazy. And you can kind of gauge it just based on the size of the segment from six to four to three, the, um, was it four? It was five. From six to five to three, you can spot a couple of threes there, and then a bunch of twos, and then a whole bunch of ones. A whole bunch of instances where it's, it's translated a certain way just once. And you realize that um, rafa is a verb that seems to give translators fits when trying to find an English equivalent, when trying to render, and in partly because a lot of ways it's used idiomatically, depending on whether it's your eyes that, that grow limp or your hands that grow limp or, or uh, something else that you were carrying and then you dropped it. And, and different, uh, or if it's just describing you in general, then your, your entire being is limp. In other words, you're lazy. It becomes an adjective that conveys the concept of laziness. So this variety, I think, is, is useful. Now, rather than clicking on a single segment, what we can do is actually select the center item, and then it's going to give us all of them in a list. And I think this is maybe the simplest way just to run through together to, to remind ourselves. Many of these are verses that we're already going to know about, and it should convey the sense what I'm attempting to do, and I put this on the slide, what I'm attempting to do is show how the various New American Standard Bible translations, they show a sad spectrum that regardless of how it's translated, it falls on this, um, this limp, failed discouragement spectrum. Okay? Um, I can't find a positive example of this word being used anywhere. That regardless of how we translate it, if this word is showing up, it's not a good thing, okay? It's limp, it's weak, it's failed, 
it's, um, it's a discouragement. Okay? And not only is the person discouraged, but their discouragement is rubbing off on other people. So we will observe this as a sad spectrum of limp, failed discouragements. All right. And where it's rendered alone uh, are typically in, in imperatives or other expressions where somebody is being left alone. Somebody is being neglected. Somebody is being dropped. They're just being left alone. Okay? And so like in Exodus 4.26, he led him alone. And at that time, this is when the Lord was going to come and, and put Moses to death because uh, his son had not been circumcised yet. And then Moses orders it done and so uh, he let him alone. God left Moses alone. In other words, he didn't kill him. He let him alone. And at that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. You might recall that argument between Moses and Zipporah. So the first use is interesting there where let alone. And that's the first use in this list. It may not be the absolute first use as we go through the um, there might be earlier uses, but I don't think so. I think it's the first absolute use as well. Nope, there's Exodus 5. Okay. Oh, this is Exodus 4. All right. So yeah, the, the downside to doing it this way is you don't always get it in canonical order. All right, Exodus 4 is the first use. Okay, good deal. Deuteronomy 9.14, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. I will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. And so this is the Lord speaking to Moses, telling uh, Moses, let me alone that I may destroy them. In other words, get out of my way. Let me alone. Judges 11, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity and my companions. Jephthah's daughter, he had promised that he was going to dedicate the first thing that came out of his door to the Lord. And I don't think it was child sacrifice, but um, she is weeping because of her virginity. She knows she's not going to have a normal marriage and family life. She's going to spend her life in the temple serving, uh, serving the Lord. 1 Samuel 11.3, the elders of Jabesh said, let us alone for seven days that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. <laughs> right? uh, they want an 11-day chance to get some help and then otherwise uh, they'll, they'll surrender after that. But let us alone. Let us alone. And um, for 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, here's Gehazi and uh, the man of God said, let her alone for her soul is troubled within her and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Job chapter 7, will you never turn your gaze away from me nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Okay, so now in some respects these first six uses, even though it's the most common way for this verb to be translated in the New American Standard Bible, they're not, it's not really the best way for us, especially connected to to Proverbs here and uh, in the verse that we're looking at in verse 10, uh, if you are slack, uh, the idea of being left alone, uh, but if you are slack in the day of distress, the, the idea behind just leaving somebody alone is just to drop them, right? Just drop them, just leave them alone. And then that kind of conveys the, the slackness maybe. All right, five times the verb is translated as fall, Deuteronomy three times, Joshua and First Chronicles. All right, or fail. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. So that's good. God will not fail us. There's a promise. And, and of course it's a negative verb, but it, because he says he won't do it, uh, you know, a negative, a double negative, it becomes a positive at that point. If he's not going to fail you, that's a good thing. If he did fail you, that would be a bad thing. The verb is a verb of failure. The verb is a verb of just falling slack, of growing limp, of being impotent and useless in a crisis moment. God will never be impotent and useless in a crisis moment, that God will always be there for you in any testing circumstance that you're going through. Same thing in Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 
two verses later in verse 8, he will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He will not fail you or forsake you. So knowing that these are the promises of God, knowing that this is his guarantee to his covenant people, why then in Proverbs 24.10 do you grow limp? Why do you go slack? Why do you fail yourself in the day of uh, distress? Why are you failing? God said he wasn't going to fail you. Why are you failing? This then becomes the inexplicable question. And the only answer is because you're not trusting in God. You're not walking by faith. You're not employing His strength. You're relying on your own. And if you fail, that's because your strength is, uh, is weak. Your strength is, is limp as it goes. Okay? How did I phrase it on the slide? Falling limp in the day of distress stresses your tiny strength. Yeah. All right. Joshua 1.5 Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. God says, I will not rafa you. I will not rafa you. First Chronicles 28.20 David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Again, God will not rafa you. You may rafa yourself, and you may rafa uh, because you're not trusting in the Lord, but the Lord will never rafa you. So uh, every failure you encounter, don't blame God, because He didn't rafa you. The, the rafa is yours. All right, three times it's used rather agitively, um, Exodus 5, verse 8, and verse 17, twice, where the Egyptian taskmasters were blaming the Jews for failing. Blaming them for being limp, for being slack, for being lazy. So uh, tell them that uh, the quota of bricks uh, is going to stay the same, but uh, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go out and sacrifice to our God. If, if your life is characterized by Rafa day after day after day after day to the, to the point where you become I mean, mentally, you just become a failure because you constantly fail and, and your mindset is one of uselessness. Your mindset is one of limp, uh, you know, slack, no strength, no, uh, it's just failure all the time. And uh, is that laziness? One way to, to define laziness is it's really just you're resigned to failure. You don't even try. He said, you are lazy, very lazy. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Okay. They weren't lazy, they just wanted to go worship. And this is what happens there in Exodus chapter 5. Part of the judgment that comes on Israel, Isaiah 13, verse 7, Therefore all hands will fall limp, every man's heart will melt. So there's a poetry tandem there between hands and heart. And you can see neither one is good. It's it's a negative effect in both, both cases. If the hands fall limp, if you're just without your own strength, without any capacity. Hard to hold a sword and put up a good fight if your hands have fallen limp. <laughs> okay, and, and really, it's a heart issue, as you see there. Every man's heart will melt. Jeremiah 6, 24, We have heard the report of it. Our hands are limp. Anguish has seized us. Pain as of a woman in childbirth. And I don't know how women do it, I, you know, but if a man's going through labor, that's a problem. <laughs> okay, That's going to hurt. Zephaniah 3.16, in that day will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion, do not let your hands fall limp. So this is, this is helping us out. This is giving us the broad spectrum of failure. It's a broad spectrum of sad, pathetic, how did I say it? A sad spectrum of limp, failed discouragements. Everywhere it's used. Okay, um, tr- A couple of times it's translated relax, uh, this is where um, God's about to destroy Jerusalem. The angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it is enough, now relax your hand. A bit idiomatic, you would think, because Jesus Christ, his hand isn't going to just go limp for no reason. But when the Father tells him enough, 
I believe this was Jesus Christ that was the, the, uh, in, in the, the Christophany as the angel of the Lord standing over Jerusalem ready to, to level the wrath. But the father said, relax. He said, go limp. And he relaxed his hand. The angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite, or Ornan, the Jebusite, depending if you're reading Samuel or Chronicles there. A couple times it's rendered discouragement. Ezra 4.4, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building. So either mechanism is a tool Satan likes to use to discourage or to frighten or whatever else it takes. If you just uh, can demoralize the person from serving the Lord, then you've accomplished your mission. And that's what uh, these people were dedicated to do. Jeremiah 38.4, officials said to the king, let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in this city and all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. And that, that's true. If, if, if all the person can do is discourage, but what if he's actually speaking the truth? What if he is, uh, you know, um, Jeremiah was faithfully delivering messages that the Lord had for him, and if the people didn't want to hear it, that's on them. <laughs> okay? And you can't just remove him from his prophetic office because you don't like what he has to say and say, well, you know, he's a downer. He's always discouraging. Why doesn't he ever give us a health, wealth, and prosperity message? How come he can't tell us how great we are? Okay, Because then he'd be lying to you, that's why. Different, uh, different things at play there. Alright, a couple times it's translated cease, cease from anger and forsake wrath, cease striving and know that I am God. Here's a beautiful one, Psalm 46 and verse 10. How often, we get it from the old King James, right? Be still and know that I am God. Does it color your understanding of that verse now, knowing that the imperative to be still is actually a command to rafa, to go limp. <laughs> Just be still. Go limp. Stop. Give up your own human effort and know that I am God. Watch what God can do. Stop trying to fix everything. Just go limp and let God do the work. Anyway, that's kind of an idiomatic way to handle Psalm 46. A couple times in Proverbs where it's rendered slack, he who is slack in his work is brother of him who destroys. That was back in chapter 18 and when we taught it, we taught it as a concept of laziness. He who is slack in his work, if you're just going to be a slug about what you're doing, um, and I didn't really get into it, I don't know that I studied it or, or really... I mean, I looked at it, but I don't know that I really, the, the sense of this impotence hit me the way that it's doing here in chapter 24. But he who is slack in his work is not just somebody that's emotionally lazy or a sluggard about it, but is actually limp, is actually weak, is actually maybe, maybe just fearful of doing anything. Might as well be uh, a destroyer at that point. 24.10 is the verse we're looking at today. Um, a couple times it's rendered let go. I lost my place here. There we go. All right. Do not let go. Do not let him go. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. That's Proverbs 4.13. And, and, um, you know, the idea of your hand going limp, if you're holding on to doctrine, if you're holding on to the promises of God, the principles of wisdom that come to you from the scriptures, hold fast. Hold fast to that wisdom. Don't let it go. And the idea of letting go is just letting your hand go limp, letting uh, going limp and failing in, uh, in uselessness. Guard her for she is your life. Song of Solomon, scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him, would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. And so, again, letting go is the, is the verb rafa. Just letting your hands go limp and dropping it. and Not a pleasant thing. Uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 43, his hands hang limp. Uh, Ezekiel 7, 17, all hands will hang limp. All knees will become like water. Dropping wings in uh, the vision there of uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, verses 24 and 25. Losing courage. 
Second Samuel four one. When Ishbosheth Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he went limp. He lost courage, and all Israel was disturbed. And this isn't talking about his hands or his heart or any other body part. It's actually talking about him and his totality, the totality of his being. Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth went rafa. Okay, he went limp. He lost courage, and all Israel was disturbed. If you're, if the spiritual leadership of a situation loses heart and goes limp and uh, and functions under a rafa uh, circumstance, that's not good. Okay, if that happens to a pastor, what happens to the flock? If it happens to a husband, what happens to a wife? If it happens to uh, parents, what happens to the children? If it happens to a president, what happens to your nation? Okay, if you have a president that oh, <laughs> that seems to be, I mean, he's not all there. I mean, I'm sad. I mean, it, to me, the people manipulating him are are horrendous. How dare they? And his own wife is part of that too. And then he sits there and he repeats back his own insult, his own vulgar insult, and he repeats it back like he's agreeing with it. Not a good thing. All right. So uh, Ishbosheth did this. Uh, folks get told not to do this. Be strong and do not lose courage. Be strong and do not rafa. Losing courage. And maybe that's the best translation of all that we can come back and, and plug into Proverbs 24.10. If you lose courage in the day of distress. Instead of if you are slack. If you lose courage in the day of distress. Okay? Like uh, that Tim, what was it, Tim Considine, the character that played, the actor in Patton that was just the, the sniveling coward and Patton slapped him. And uh, that's, he was, he was Rafa-ing in that, in that episode. Nehemiah 6 and verse 3. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? The idea of leaving it means he's dropping it. He's, he's letting his hands go limp. He's just uh, abandoning the work. He's just dropping it, leaving it. Nehemiah 6, 9. All of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. If other people are trying to discourage you, where are you going to find your strength? Where are you going to find your, your courage? Not from people. They're working on the other end of things. Job twelve twenty one. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belt of the strong. Job 27, 6. I hold fast my righteousness. I will not let it go. My heart does not reproach any of my days. So he's not going to let go. Again, it's the idea of going, your hands going limp and you just, you just, you can't hold on to it anymore because you have no more strength in your hands. He's going to cling to his righteousness until it gets pried out of his cold dead fingers, evidently, in, uh, in that expression. Psalm uh, 138. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not rafa, do not forsake the works of your hands. Don't let your hands go limp, Lord, and drop us. Because we are the work of your hands. We are held in your hands. You are fashioning us. You are working in us. And how bad would it be for us if God's hands went limp? <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, uh, you know, if he dropped us. Okay, it's not going to happen. Much of this imagery, I don't know if, if uh, much of this, uh, if, if I'm, my understanding may be colored based on my dad and based upon the rheumatoid arthritis, whereby by the end of his life, his hands were so deformed, his fingers were so curled, he had no strength in his hands even to open his fingers up or to hold anything. You hand him something and he drops it. There's just no strength in his hands. It's like, should have renamed him Rafa there at the end. The, uh, the literal use is used there in Isaiah 5.24 where it's translated collapses. That's probably not a good rendering. Uh, as a tongue of fire consumes strubble, uh, stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame. Is that what dry grass does when you throw it into the flame? Does it collapse? I guess it collapses. It gets consumed. It curls up. It, as dry grass collapses into the flame. That's what we should not be doing. 
if God puts us in a testing circumstance, maybe He expects us to go through the flame. Okay? Well, you're not dry grass. Don't collapse. God will sustain you through the water, through the flame, through the trouble, through whatever it is He he has you walking through. If God put you there, then use His strength and get through it. But that, that, that one there, that, that's the literal use. That's grass and flame and something physical, something literal that's happening there. And that may be the best verse of all, out of all of these, to, to help us with these more, uh, the, the metaphors, with the more idiomatic usages as we encounter them. Jeremiah 49, Damascus has become helpless. She has turned away to flee. Panic has gripped her. Distress and pangs have taken hold of her like a woman in childbirth. So that seems pretty hopeless and helpless to me. It means Damascus has, uh, has rafad. Ezekiel 21, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, knees will be weak as water. That's not good. Because of the news that is coming, every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble. Joshua 10.6, do not abandon your servants, come up to us quickly and save us and help us. Joshua 18.3, how long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord uh, has given you? You know, so again, it's an idiom and and some of these expressions about being slack or being lazy, how long will you put off? Literally, how long will you rafa? How long will will you stay so feeble? How long will you just stand there impotent? Go get the land. God said it's ours. All right, the day has drawn to a close. In other words, the day has failed. Uh, ang- um, their anger towards him subsided. It dropped, it dwindled, it went slack, it went impotent, it failed. Samuel said to Saul, wait, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He said to him, speak. All right, so the command to wait. Another expression there. Okay, so in all of those... I think we would agree none of those were positive examples. We, we had yet to find one positive example. God's not going to fail us. Why are we failing ourselves? If you are slack, if you go, if you go limp, if you just collapse like a, a withering bowl of jelly <laughs> in the day of distress, your strength is stressed. Your strength is stressed. All right. The second thing I want to stress here, oh, more work on the stem is needed to provide greater clarity on the Rephaim. It's curious, the, um, the Rephaim, the Nephilim that become Rephaim, these angelic studies that we do, um, there, there's no, well, there is broad agreement as far as what a Rephaim speaks to, but they, they tend to speak to other verbs, verbs of healing, verbs of wisdom, rather than verbs of weakness or verbs of slackness or verbs of some somebody that sinks down but in reality that's what the rephaim are that when their bodies are killed they sink down their disembodied spirits sink down and they actually become inhabitants of sheol they become inhabitants of the pit until they can they can again uh, escape the pit and roam the earth as these disembodied spirits as these demons so um, anyway, I want to do more work on this in future years as we do better, have, have, I think, better clarity on what the Rephaim actually are, these disembodied spirits, these shades of the underworld. And uh, it's going to come back to this verb Rafa, I think, as we deal with that. All right, the day of distress. This too becomes an expression uh, that uh, really combines two words. Yom is the word for day, Tzarah is the verb for uh, distress or trouble, um, the day of trouble. We can think of uh, prophetically, eschatologically, there is a coming day of trouble that uh, is, is, a, is a promised day that Israel has in front of them. The, uh, the day of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah sixteen nineteen. that's the day of Jacob's distress, the great tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. There's no, there's no day like it. So there's an eschatological understanding, but then there's also present understandings that we all from time to time are going to have a day of distress. I mean, who doesn't, right? So I think it's useful when you study these concepts that we want to be clear, we want to ask ourselves, 
is this passage talking eschatologically about the final day of the Lord, the final day of judgment, the final day of distress that Israel is going to go through as a nation? Or is this talking about the occasional periodic tribulation that every believer faces? If you are slack in the day of distress, I think that's, that's the way I take it anyway. I think that's the best way to take it here in, in Proverbs 24.10. It's like when Jesus says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Right? He's not telling Christians that we'll, we'll have to go through the great tribulation of Israel. But he just says, we live in a fallen world. We live in the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. In this world you will have tribulation. So be of good cheer. Don't go limp. Okay? I have overcome the world. And we can appreciate that. So when it says, Beyom Sarah, in the day of trouble, we can claim these as general promises. And we can identify whatever day we're in. If, uh, if God is putting us in a, in a circumstance that we're not pleased with, just say, okay, Lord, this is a day of trouble. This is a Yom Sarah, and I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And just identify this as a day of trouble. Uh, just like um, in Hebrews 4, with uh, uh, grace to help in time of need, right? That, um, well, when is not a time of need? <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to go boldly before the throne of grace that I can find mercy and obtain grace to help in time of need seems to me like uh, all, every time is a good time <laughs> that uh, I, I'm not going to pass on the grace of God just because I think I can handle this myself no, this is a time of need I'm going to go to Him in prayer and He's going to provide so some of these two, I think combining with day, let me close this now, we don't need that anymore. And I don't need that anymore. And we can just do it this way. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Is that the is that eschatological? Is that the great tribulation? Is that in the future? This is a personal uh, desire for an individual believer that's making this application under the, the, the wisdom principles of, of the Old Testament. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May He send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May He remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. We can claim this today. We can claim this all day, every day. In the day of trouble, call upon the Lord. May He answer you. May He set you securely on high. You can claim this promise seven days a week for the rest of your life. May He answer you in the day of trouble. And, and I like that. It's idiomatic, it's a bit of an expression, but I do like it. I do like the fact that it's um, how long does a day last, right? It's a finite period of time. This test I'm going through right now is not eternal. It's just a, a momentary light affliction. It's a finite test. And so I just accept it, say, thank you, Father, you put me here, you called for this circumstance in my life, and I'm just going to call upon you in the day of trouble. And if my day of trouble happens to last 30 years, oh well, it's still just, uh, you know, the day of trouble, I call upon Him. We can appreciate that. All right, Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. What a provision. He wants us to call upon him. He is urging us to, to bug him, right? As Jesus taught, just keep pestering, pestering, and pestering. He wants to be called upon. The reason why is because there's a phony out there, there's a fraud, there's an adversary who said, I will be like the Most High God. And every time we call upon the real God Father for our deliverance and our protection, then we're glorifying Him, we're pleasing Him, we're honoring Him, and we're telling that phony fraud to, to pound sand, right? Take a hike, get out of here. We, we reject your offer to be our Father. We, we have the real Father and that's who we're serving, that's who we're trusting upon. So call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you. You will honor me. Appreciate that as well. Of course, Proverbs 24, 10, if you were slack in the day of distress, you know, God put you here to accomplish a mission and you just blew it by going slack. We'll see it again in the next chapter, 25, 19. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot. Those aren't good. 
(laughs) is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. So if you're banking on this guy to bail you out, not going to happen. He's faithless. You put your your confidence in in a faithless object. That's not a good thing. You've got to put your confidence in the faithful object. That's why we place our confidence in the the, uh, eternal faithfulness of God. The eternal infinite faithfulness of God. Anyway, I like that. Jeremiah 16, 19. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of distress, in the Yom Tzavah. Tzarah, I'm sorry, Tzarah. In the Yom Tzarah. And I forget too, I think Tzarah is also, I think it's a word for concubine. <laughs> I gotta, which to me is hilarious. It's probably a good reason to not have a concubine. Just stick with a wife and be done with it. But um, if if... <laughs> If, if the same word for distress is also a word for concubine, that, that should tell you something. I might be wrong on that, but I don't think I am. I'll check it after class. Um, my refuge in the day of distress. To you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. This is actually pretty remarkable that Jeremiah is not only relating his present circumstances, but also excited about eschatologically what's going to happen in the kingdom. How glorious it's going to be in the kingdom now in, in Jeremiah's lifetime, trusting in the Lord would just get you mocked and ridiculed. But in the coming key, kingdom, all of the, the nations are going to realize it's the Jewish people and the God of Israel that is uh, where they need to go for their, for their answers, for their provision. Ralph's favorite verse, Ralph Braun would always quote Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in Yom Sarah, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. Isn't this a beautiful promise? The Lord is good. <laughs> okay? Uh, where else are you going to run to in the day of trouble? What other fortress, what other stronghold? When, uh, when, when the flaming arrows are coming in from everywhere and you're in the midst of all kinds of conflict, you're going to handle it in your own human effort? You're going to go trust in the Lord. Flee to Him. Run to, run to His stronghold. And when you get there, He's not locking you out. He's not shutting the door. He's good. He's letting you in. And He knows you. He doesn't say, who are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> he knows those who take refuge in Him. And uh, what a blessing. Finally, Habakkuk 3.16 I heard and my inward parts trembled and the sound, at the sound my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the Yom Tzarah, the day of distress, for the people who, to arise who will invade us. And here's Habakkuk receiving a vision of these things that are on the way. And yet, and yet, in spite of it all, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet. Makes me walk in the high, on my high places. So he's, gonna, he's, he's got the victory on this because it's not his strength. It's God's faithfulness to get, him through these, uh, to get him through these seasons. Now the play on words uh, in describing your strength that describes your strength as limited, describes your strength as narrow, describes your strength as as weak, okay? And so it's a cognate term from the tsarah to simply tsar. It's a shorter form, takes off the feminine ending. Uh, the shorter form of tsar, strongest number is 6862, and there's 18 more usages there that uh, we could look at. Really the only two that I think uh, are, are pertinent for this morning are in Numbers 2226, when Balaam and his donkey, when the donkey takes him through a narrow place and ends up getting stuck and then dropping down there. Numbers 22, 26, which I like. The whole Balaam episode makes me laugh every time I read it. Simply because I'd be the same way. I'd be yelling at the donkey and calling him names and, and then talking back when the donkey was preaching to me. So the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And yeah, this is hilarious. So the, um, but the narrow place, the narrow place is a tsar place, a narrow place. And the idea is, and we, we use the same metaphor today. We talk about, I'm really in a bind. I'm really in a bind. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm backed into a corner. I'm stuck in a narrow place, and, which means I'm helpless. It means I'm weak. It means I'm hopeless. I, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I'd like to help you, but I'm really in a bind right now. And, and it's that metaphor, and it goes perfectly well with the one we just got done looking at with the Sarah. It's, it's, a, it's distressing. Who, I mean, it's very distressing to be trapped and have no options, to be in a narrow place. The harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Again, that's the, the deep and the narrow. You're just not getting yourself out of that. You're not getting yourself out of that. The idea of being distressed, being narrow. So your strength is narrow. Your strength is as distressed as the day. Okay, You're in a day of distress, and your strength is stressed. So what good is that? It's not doing you any good. You've gone limp. Koch is a very common word, 124 times. Um, and, and we can't look at all of them. I'm running short on time anyway. But what's interesting to me is how many times Koch is featured in context where there is utter failure, where strength isn't helping you out any, or where the strength falls short. So strength is the verb koch, or the, the noun, the adjective, koch, here we go. K-O-C-H, koch. The glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Okay? Be nice if you could have both. <laughs> Be nice if you could have the health and the strength and the, and the good looks at the same time that you have the wisdom, but they seem to be on polar ends of this age spectrum. You get the honor and the wisdom and the gray hair on the older end, and then, but by then the strength is gone. It's just how biology works. A wise man is strong, a man of knowledge increases power. That's Koch in that second use. But notice how strength is subject to repeated failure. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength has failed because of my iniquity, my body has wasted away. Consequences of your sin. Damage that you do to your health because of younger carnality. Strength has failed because of my iniquity. That's a warning. 38.10 My heart throbs, my strength fails me. The light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. When you're faced with this kind of discouragement, what strength do you have left? And is that the strength you were banking on when uh, when the going gets tough? Like, I can handle anything. Well, not not this day. How about tomorrow? (laughs) How about the day after that? If you're counting on your own physical strength, you're going to have days where it's just gone. It's not there. Your strength is going to be tsar. It's going to be narrow. It's going to be Limp. Should have trusted in the Lord instead of your own strength. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies have spoken against me. Those who watch for my life have consulted together. Other things, your your strength is subject to repeated failure. Sometimes it's other people that are going to let you down. Just when you thought you, you know, they were going to be there for you and you thought they could, they could, they'd have your back when your strength gave out, guess what? Your strength gave out and they took the opportunity to, to jump on the bandwagon and stab you in the back even more. Twist the, twist the knife even more. And they realize, oh, look at that. God has forsaken him. <laughs> yeah. Always blame the victim. Isaiah 44, 12. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. And at the end of the day, what has he done? What has he created? He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. <laughs> All right. So maybe you, maybe you have strength right now. Maybe you've done a lot of work. Maybe you've accomplished something. But you're getting tired, aren't you? 
How much more can you do? You better stop and your strength has failed. Lamentations 1.14 The yoke of my transgressions is bound by his hand. They are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. You know, <laughs> it's kind of curious. It's like whatever it is that's the source of our pride, maybe it's strength, maybe it's beauty, maybe it's wealth, whatever it is, if, if, if we've made this our idol, God's got a marvelous way to take that very thing and make that the, the context for your discipline. And so he takes away your strength and uh, demonstrates what the, the, the folly of that idolatry or takes away your beauty or takes away your money or takes away your friends or takes away your popularity or whatever it is. If, if that's what you were trusting in instead of the Lord, God's got a marvelous way to highlight that by removing it, putting you under this discipline to open your eyes to the, uh, the course that you've been on. So one of the shortest Proverbs communicates a deep truth. Did I highlight how short this proverb is? Let me show this to you here. I don't think I showed this to you yet. We're almost done. Proverbs 24.10 If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Alright, that's 13 words in English. Much shorter in the Hebrew. Five words in the Hebrew. Okay. These are hith pael of rafa, hith rafitha, okay? And then here's your, really, this should be counted as one word, bayom tsara, the day of distress. I'll grant you it's two words, okay? So that's three altogether. And then tsar, weak, limited, narrow. And then your strength, kocheka, your strength. Five words. A tiny little thing. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, you get not, however many words that is in English, it's four words in Hebrew. The, the brevity of the simplicity of Hebrew poetry is sometimes just uh, profound. So one of the shortest Proverbs communicates a deep truth. When we are weak, then we are strong, right? Second Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Stop using your own strength and use God's strength. When we are weak, then we are strong. Because we are fixing our eyes on God in faith. Hebrews 11.34 Do you not know, have you not heard? God provides the strength. Sorry to rush through this so quickly, but we're out of time and we're done for the year. We should be familiar with all of these. This is the thorn in the flesh and Paul asked three times that God would take it away. But he said to me, my strength is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think this is a great New Testament corollary to Proverbs 24.10. Don't use your own strength. Just admit your weakness and, and, and rest in God's strength. This is what Old Testament believers did by faith. By faith, they quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness, we're made strong. From weakness, we're made strong. They didn't have to be New Testament believer priests to apply this. They had the resources they needed in the Old Testament to do this, just walking by faith. And then the well-known Isaiah 40. You have this on your refrigerator magnet, or you have this on a knick-knack in your house. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. This is what we're called to do. Stand in the strength of the Lord. Okay? All right. 
Well then, um, somebody remind me a year from now, <laughs> when we come back in January of 2023 and we resume this uh, proverb study, nah, I'll know where we are. We'll, uh, we'll be ready for words of the wise number 27, right? This was 26. No, this was 24. Okay. So we'll come back to 25. We'll uh, look at verses 11 and 12 and just pick it right up and keep on going. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I thank you for the privilege and blessing that it is to study to show ourselves approved. And Father, I thank you for the simplicity of walking with the Lord. Father, what is required of us? We just, we're walking with you. We're walking by faith. In all our ways, we're acknowledging you. You direct our steps. And uh, whatever day of trouble you bring us to, Father, we're not going to rely on our own strength. We're not going to stand in our own strength. Our strength is limited. Our, our strength is narrow. But Father, yours is limitless. So we just uh, celebrate and rejoice how faithful you are. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.